Holy Father, the words that we have proclaimed together and the words that we have listened to and received, the word Jesus and the Holy Spirit who illuminates those words, Father, they're in our midst. You've given us these means of grace. Our heart beats harder and faster as we listen to that anthem, as we reflect upon the truth of that love so amazing, so divine, a love like no other, a love that we as people would never give and could never give, you gave us. Your Savior, our Savior, Jesus, your Son, he did everything that was necessary fulfilling all that was required that all who would trust in him would have eternal life. And we have gathered as your people today, Jesus. We've gathered to bring you praise. We are seeking to build our life on you, the true foundation. And Father, we know the temptation to build on something else, on someone else. So today we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make it clear for all who are here, all who are listening or watching, watching even at a later date, this service, that all who come, all who listen, could leave this day knowing where they stand with you and what that means and why that matters now and for all eternity. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Change each of us. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We are coming to the final words that Jesus preached in his Sermon on the Mount. And as a preacher, we've, along with Paul, been in this series for over a year. And I don't know how many years the Lord will keep me on earth and how many years he will keep me in a pulpit, but I don't know if I'll ever have the privilege of preaching the Sermon on the Mount again this series. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. So to come to this place where this is the last hour where we're gonna look at this passage is pretty sweet and tender. Jesus spoke these words. Over a year ago, we shared with you the very first beatitude, and we've walked slowly through it. The way Jesus Christ ends this sermon is profound. He is making it very clear to those who were listening then and to those who are listening today, even in this very sanctuary, that you are either in Christ and eternally secure, or you are not in Christ and not eternally secure. There is no hybrid, there is no mix. Jesus wants there to be no confusion. And so he gives us these final words that are so powerful and the image so great. So listen as I read and then preach. Verse 24 of Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, 
but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. As Jesus moves towards the end of his sermon, recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's not a very long sermon. He gives us several contrasts. They begin earlier in chapter 7 when he says there, is, there are two gates, and these two gates lead to two different roads. There is a narrow gate that gives entrance to a narrow road that leads to life, that is life now and life for eternity. And there is a wide gate that leads to a wide road that leads to destruction, destruction now and then ultimately in eternity. He then goes on to speak of the wise or true prophet and the false prophet and the good tree and the bad tree. And then where we were last week, he speaks of the one who gives a false proclamation. Lord, Lord, but it's false. They've not ultimately surrendered their life to Christ. And Jesus tells us he will say to them on that day of judgment, away from me, I never knew you. It's a frightening passage. I preached it last week. I encourage you to listen. And then he comes to this place where he says, now there are two builders. These contrasts that Jesus is making are really important because they have to do with judgment. They have to do with eternity. In living in the culture of the Bible Belt, we have a grave temptation, and that is to have false assurance. And false assurance looks so much like the real thing that many people are deceived. Jesus was protecting against this then, and this same word protects us against it now. And one thing that we have to understand is that these two pictures, the wide road, the narrow road, the true prophet, the false prophet, the good tree, the bad tree, the one who's building on the rock and the one who's building on the, on the uh, sand, these two pictures represent only two types. You are either in Christ or you are not in Christ. There is no hybrid. And where we live in the buckle of the Bible Belt, where there's so much culture, cultural Christianity or nominal Christianity, where people might say the right thing, even make a profession of faith, but never truly surrender to Christ, these words are important. Here's one example. Many people tend to think that the wide road and the narrow road are parallel paths. I can be in the narrow road on Sunday or whenever my weekly Bible study meets, but the rest of the week I'm in the wide road. And I'm just kind of walking this path, one foot in the narrow road, one foot in the wide road. They go side by side so it's possible. That is a lie. These roads are not parallel roads. They're not parallel paths. The wide road goes that direction and the narrow road goes that direction. Try walking both. You, you can't do it. I'm not trying to be silly. It's impossible. You are either on the narrow road and you're moving in Christ towards eternal life or you are on 
the wide road leading towards destruction and ultimately eternal destruction if you never turn. There's not a hybrid. There is not a, I can do both. That's one of the great deceptions of Satan, particularly in a culture like this. Last Sunday, I know many of you were gone on spring break. I read something written by Arthur W. Pink. I wanna read it again because it's so powerful in describing his perspective as a theologian, as one who is really thinking deeply about culture and the word of God in the midst of culture. He said this, never were there so many millions of nominal Christians on earth. And nominal means non-believer ultimately. It means culturally you might say, yeah, I am this, but it's not a true believer. It's the ones who would say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus would say, you never surrendered your life to me, I never knew you. Never were there so many millions of nominal Christians on earth as there are today. And never was there such a small percentage of real ones. We seriously doubt whether there has ever been a time in the history of this Christian era when there were such multitudes of deceived souls within the churches who verily believe that all is well with their souls when in fact the wrath of God abideth on them. And then he added this, and we know of no single thing better calculated to undeceive them than a full and faithful exposition of these closing verses of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And he's right. I was three years old when he wrote that. It was written in 1969. Have things gotten better? Have people really taken Jesus more seriously? Have they really surrendered all of who they are to the one who really is the Lord? Those who followed Jesus to that mountainside who were listening to that day were listening audibly to the voice of God. They were listening audibly as their eyes set sight on the living God who is the word. And even at the end of that sermon, Jesus gives these very profound illustrations and he is the one who says, many of you will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. Jesus doesn't want anyone to be deceived. He doesn't want anyone to know or think that they are in him when they're really not. And so he gives us these incredible illustrations. And he ends with this one. Two builders, two houses, two foundations, two radically different responses. What I wanna do this morning at first is focus on the similarities between the two. They're easy to see, but also very easy to miss. The first similarity is this, they're both building houses. Now, because of the world we live in and the kind of houses that are all around us, you might be building your own, maybe you've built your own, maybe you have a dream house. Think about how they're listening to this. These are simple homes that are coming to their imagination. Even if those who are present have money, they would never build much more than a two-story, very functional house. It was not ornate, unless you were royalty. It was simply to meet the needs that you had, provision. So Jesus closes the illustration by saying there are two builders and they're building two houses. 
Picture these houses as being very, very similar to one another in the minds of those listening. These two builders building two houses have this in common. They heard the very same thing. Verse 24, Jesus says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now look with me at verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. These two builders heard the same words from the same mouth, from the same man. When Jesus says these words, he's talking about the words of his sermon that began with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. These are the words Jesus is talking about. So the builders, the two builders building two houses heard the same message. Second, or thirdly, the two builders building two houses, having listened to the same message, are now going to experience the same realities. They're gonna experience storms. There is going to be rain, there is going to be flooding, there's going to be winds. Look with me at verse 25. Of the wise builder, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And then in verse 27, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. These builders building two houses heard the same words from the same man and now have experienced or will experience the storms. Last thing they have in common, they both have built on foundations. The foundations are mentioned. And as the foundations are mentioned, the similarities end. The differences in the foundations are described by Jesus. Look with me at verse 24. Again, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone, verse 26, who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So above the line, above ground, these two homes look exactly the same. And that's the danger. In the church, in churches, there are people who look exactly the same above the ground as others who are not true believers. That's the warning. For when you look underneath, when you begin to examine the foundation, you begin to see the truth. And the truth is some built on the rock. Notice it says the rock, not a rock. Twice, the rock, that's referring to Christ himself and the words that he proclaimed. The other built on sand. So when the reality of those storms came, do you experience storms? Not just physical rain, physical rivers, physical winds, emotional, health, relational, emo you know, psycho, all of it. 
We experience so many things that come against us. When those storms, the world, the flesh, the devil, came against those two structures, those two houses, one stood and one did not. You are one of these two builders. There is no hybrid. The foundation Jesus mentions here is himself. It is the rock. The application of that foundation is that those who hear, and they both heard the same thing, these words, the one who does them, in other words, obeys what he's hearing, is the one who builds on the rock, in the rock. This is the one who says, in order for this house to withstand all that could come against it, I know I must build on the rock. I must dig down deep. I must go to the place where nobody else will see it and make sure it's strong. And the word of God that I heard, that's what I'm gonna build. That's who I'm going to build on. The foolish man, he heard the same things, but he did not obey. He simply said, I'm not digging to the bedrock. I'm gonna do it the way I wanna do it. And that includes many people. In a book titled, Making All Things New, the late Henry Nouwen talked about living an absurd life, and he connected it to being deaf and to listening and obedience. Listen to this. Being deaf to God's word, our lives become absurd. In the word absurd, we find the Latin word, surdus. That word means deaf. A spiritual life requires learning and listening to God's word. When we learn to listen, truly listen, not just hear, when we learn to listen, our lives become obedient lives. The word obedient comes from the Latin word audire, audible, hearing, the Latin word audire, which means listening. When we listen, truly listen, by God's grace we obey. And when we do, our lives move from the absurd to the obedient, from the foolish to the fruitful. Robbie in his prayer mentioned Syria and Turkey. It's amazing how quickly we can move on from a story where thousands upon thousands have died. It's, it's heartbreaking to just see those images and know that the death count continues to climb and will. In 1994, on January 17th, our country experienced, at that point, its most expensive natural disaster. It was an earthquake called the Northridge Quake in Los Angeles County. Most people, when I say that, immediately go to the San Francisco earthquake, which took, took place in the fall during the World Series. It's not the one I'm talking about. This one happened at 4.31 a.m., on Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, January 17th, 94, 57 people died. 
Right now you're thinking only 57 people. I get that. But 57 people died. They said if it had not been a federal holiday, and if it had not been at 4.30 in the morning, they estimated thousands, maybe even beyond 10,000 people would have died in this country in that earthquake. And the reason was because of all the structures that collapsed. Maybe you remember it now, the freeways that collapsed, bridges that collapsed. I was there. My wife and I had gone with my mother to visit my sister and her husband and my nephew Cameron. I'd never been in an earthquake. The Sunday before, I wish I could tell you I was in church. I was not. I was enjoying LA, the sunshine, the weather in January. I was literally wearing shorts and running shoes, not even a shirt, I know that's gross, running, overwhelmed by the beauty of this place, even thinking maybe God would call us here. 431, the earthquake hit and lasted 32 to 33 seconds. In 32 to 33 seconds, the most expensive natural disaster that took 57 lives happened. When it hit, I had no idea what was going on. My wife had lived in California, in Palm Springs for a while. She was aware of earthquakes. Immediately she said, it's an earthquake. I rolled over on top of her and a ceiling fan, the ceiling fan fell on my back. It was violent and then it was over until the aftershocks. It was unbelievable how violent it was. As soon as it ended, all you heard were animals barking, dogs barking, car alarms, house alarms going off, and explosions. I mean, you could hear them all over, and there were no lights. 57 people died, and it could have been a lot worse. But of the 57 who died, 16 died in one location, the Northridge Meadow Apartments. And the reason those people died there was because the fourth floor became the third floor, became the second, and flattened the first. In this apartment complex, these apartments had been built according to code that's called earthquake-proof. Engineers have designed buildings that can withstand pretty substantial earthquakes. And in this case, the buildings that surrounded it that were part of this complex, they survived, but this one unit did not. And as the years would follow, the investigators would try to understand why, and this is what happened. Human error, intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know. The blueprints, what was prescribed what had been used to build all of these buildings and those that stood this earthquake did that. In this one section, they did not. They had the same blueprints. They read the same blueprints. They heard the same blueprints. But someone decided to make a compromise or simply did it out of error, whatever the case. When the earthquake hit, when that storm came, that building collapsed and 16 people died. Knowing what you're supposed to do and not doing it is absurd. 
Knowing what you can do and what you can prevent and not doing is foolish. It's building on a sandy foundation. And what Jesus is telling those who are listening then and now is that there's one rock and there's one foundation. There is not a hybrid. There's not more than two. You are either a person in Christ building your life on the rock, which means you, by his grace and for his glory, are seeking to obey his words, his sermon, him who is the word. Or you are not doing that. You've heard it if you're here. You've heard it. And if you decide to reject it, you're building on soil that is sandy, that will not withstand the storm that you have already encountered and will ultimately encounter. Ultimately encounter meaning this, that in antiquity, when an illustration was used for a storm, it often was connected to the idea of judgment, the ultimate judgment, the day of judgment. That's what Jesus is talking about. On that day which we all will face, there are those who will be in Christ and there are those who won't be in Christ. Today, March 19th, 2023, whether you're here or watching and listening online or listening at another date, you as a human being created by God can have the assurance that you are building your life on the rock, Christ Jesus. If you are, I'm gonna repeat last week now, it will be because you have made a true profession in Jesus. You have rested and received him alone for salvation. Secondly, your life is a life that has the presence of fruit in it. What that means is you are taking Jesus at his word and you're taking him seriously. It does not mean perfection. You can't be perfect. But you have a desire that he's given you as a new person. And that desire that he's given you as a new person has you saying, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. In the last hour, a young man came up to me at the end of the service and he said, can you pray for me? I said, yes. He said, we had spring break last week. I slipped, I sinned, I did what I said I wasn't going to do. I feel sick, I feel sad, I am scared that I'm not truly a believer. Have you professed faith in Christ before? Yes. You wouldn't be here talking to me. I don't think if your faith isn't real. Friends, do you have that kind of courage? Do you have that kind of assurance? Do you know that you know that you know? He wanted to know that. And it was a delight to pray over him, to encourage him to resist, to stand strong, to continue to turn away. Not only now, but the rest of his life until heaven. True believers profess faith in Jesus. They have the presence of fruitfulness in their life according to God's word and they persevere. Jesus shows us that. If you are building your life on Christ, the foundation, the true rock,
No matter what storm you face, storms of doubt, storms of depression, storms of anxiety, storms of relational strife, losing a job, losing a loved one, loneliness, whatever it is, in Christ you will stand because he is your foundation. Ultimately, you will stand the day of judgment and be with him forever. Those who are not in Christ, that is not your promise. Jesus' very last words were this. Just like he said about the foolish man, or the wise man, he said this about the foolish. The rain fell. The floods came. The winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. I actually prefer the translation that says, and it crashed. And great was the crash. Friends, that's the eternal reality to those who reject the words of Christ and build on the sand. Matthew chapter 7 doesn't end with Jesus' words, quoted by Matthew. Instead, Jesus finishes his sermon. Matthew picks it up, and here's what Matthew says, verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. I love that word. They were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. But I want to make something very clear. Being astonished at Jesus and at his teaching is not enough. Trusting in him, who is astonishing, who does astonishing things, that is the key. It's resting and receiving him alone as the rock. If you have professed faith in him, if that fruit is present in your life, then you're persevering, praise God. If not, today may be the day where in his sovereignty he brought you here that you might hear the truth of his word, what he said. I wanna end with this illustration, and I want you just to listen. Jesus finished this sermon. It probably took less than 15, 16, 17 minutes to speak. He came down the mountain. Matthew tells us the crowds were astonished, and then he meets someone. Matthew 8 picks up, And here's what Matthew says. Just listen. Picture this. When he came down from the mountain, the great crowds followed him. They were astonished. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. Remember that when a leper entered into public space, they were commanded to shout out, unclean, unclean. This man finds his way through the crowds 
near the proximity of the one who was just preaching, very close to Jesus, so close that he kneels down before him and he says these words, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand. He didn't have to. He did not have to. He could have just said the word. He stretched out his hand and he touched the leper saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus is telling him to obey the word of God. Those who truly listen and build on the rock, seek to obey the word of God. Those who don't live absurd lives. The same hand that touched that leper would soon receive nails. Within a couple of years of Christ's life, those hands that touched so many others would be nailed to a cross so that your hands and mine, so that all the wrath that we all deserved would not come on us but would come on him. And the very one who spoke this sermon with his hands nailed to the cross, his feet nailed to the cross, spoke final words from the cross, saying, it is finished. Jesus Christ, the one who spoke these words, is the word. He is the rock. You are either building on him, who is the foundation, the rock, or you're not. May the Lord today have mercy. And if you have surrendered your life to Christ already, may you leave this place celebrating the assurance you have. And if today you're sitting here saying, I'm not sure, I might not be in Christ, or I know I'm not, I'm so grateful that you're here. And I pray that you will take seriously these words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago and will reflect deeply on what it means to build a life apart from him. You may not see the need for it right now. I'm sure many didn't then. But listen to the God of the universe and what he is saying to reject him, to ignore him, to say I don't care. It's absurd. Friends, this is the word from the Lord, the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for opening your mouth for creating us, for creating this time and this space 
and for giving us your holy word. My heart, Lord, is to do nothing that would distract from the clarity of what you have proclaimed. Lord Jesus, I don't want anyone to be falsely assured. I also don't want anybody to live in shame when they have been set free. Only you, Holy Spirit, can make that clear. If there are those in our midst who don't know you, but today want to rest and receive Jesus alone for salvation, friend, pray to him now. Simply tell him your need for him as a sinner and ask him to save you. And tell somebody if you are praying that prayer today. Lord, for others, we are in you. And the storms of this life are overwhelming us. The water is rising. The world, the flesh, and the devil are coming against us. And sometimes we begin to wonder, will we persevere? One of the signs that we belong to you is that we will. And we praise you for that. So Lord, touch deeply those in this body who are feeling the effects of the storm and let them hear your voice through your word and spirit that they are secure. Lord, as we close in a very familiar song, please don't let it be us just checking a box, but let us think deeply of these words that we're offering to you who has given us everything. You indeed are the rock, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Please stand.